Welcome back, listeners. And we've got a, I guess, a guest now. He's the second time on. We, we haven't spoken about the wool market much recently and other kind of market factors. So we've got Michael DeCluver joining us uh, to have a bit of a chat about uh, wool and China and all things kind of um, interesting. Uh, Michael, welcome back. Uh, thanks, uh, and thanks for the invite, and good to be back. Um, we've got a new, you know, when you were here last, we weren't doing this, but we've got a new thing we do, just a bit of a psychological warm-up called the Sixth Sense. So we're going to fire a couple of uh, words at you, and just you got to just come back straight away with the first thing that pops in your mind, whether it's a word or a phrase, a bit of a word association thing. And Andrew's taking notes on it, and he'll get his partner, psych- psychiatrist, to... Um, to have assess a look at you. it, analyse it, assess uh, whether we can have you back on in future or whether... Or whether yeah. you need to be committed. Um, I'm concerned already, but far away. Go, Andrew, you can, you can start with six cents. China. Difficult. COP26. Interesting. Black pudding. Haven't had it. Haggard. Now we're getting low. Will market. Always interesting. Processing in China. Ooh, that's tough. Uh, challenging, challenging going forward. I've got one more. I know we're normally only to six, but carding night. <laughs> An amazing, uh, politically correct, uh, entertaining evening. I'm not sure. We've spoken about carding night a few times on the podcast uh, with others that, that have never been, and we've kind of, you know, given it a bit of a rundown. It wasn't quite the descriptors you used for it. But then the last time we discussed it, Andrew, we weren't sure if we were breaking some secret, you know, code of silence. Were we allowed to be talking about it publicly, or is it a is it an event that's, that flies under the radar, Michael? It definitely flies under the radar. It's definitely wool is the only. Um, it used to be for carding buyers only, uh, which are an interesting group in the, in themselves. Uh, the carding buyer was dying out, and so to make numbers uh, match a little bit better and a few more people, they invited all the buyers, and then heaven forbid they started inviting brokers, and then. It's gone a, a step further, and they've actually started inviting people of the opposite sex. So it's really, it's really come a long way. Um, but uh, it is still a night of, of education, let's put it, uh, and review of the year that's been uh, always entertaining. Yes, it, uh, I've been. You were, the, you were the instigator of inviting me to one. Uh, I think it was the fiftieth, the fiftieth one, wasn't it? Um, uh, a very entertaining evening, and, and, and not only did we look back at the year that had been, but 50 years it had been, and it was particularly entertaining, and I think it introduced you to a world that you had been in previously in a formal a formal life, and, and it reminded <clears> you of some of those days in the in the 80s in the currency trading world, and it brought you right back. Yes, the um, yeah, elements were um, very entertaining. Uh, reminded me of uh, of those currency days, and I mean a lot of work. An actual lot of work goes into it because there. I remember that fiftieth one. They had about six or seven different songs that they had produced to um, to shits to various participants of the wooling through. Well, everybody in the industry, nobody goes home unscathed. Um, your attendance generally means that you get a mention, 
and if you don't get a mention, it means you probably haven't done anything very interesting for the year. So um, always good to be mentioned on carding night. Uh, and if you can't laugh at yourself, best not to go, because otherwise you, you're quite offended. <laughs> That's true. That's a good summary. So uh, I mentioned, Michael, you're our, our wool correspondent. Um, so like I said about Andrew, we, we speak often about um, grains and oilseed and livestock markets, but sometimes wool skips a mention. Uh, so we thought we'd have you on. What's been going on in that wool space uh, last uh, last few months? So you've probably covered in some general terms, but um, COVID obviously was very difficult for us last year. And we got through last year after hitting some really bad lows in about August. We recovered quite well as we ended the spring of last year. Uh, and the area that recovered probably best were the finals. And they hit not back to 2018 highs, but certainly recovered a long way. Um, and so that, that final sector has been very, very, very uh, encouraging the last six months, particularly, you know, returns in the, in the two and a half to three and a half thousand dollars a bale. And I don't think anybody would shy away from the fact that that's pretty good going. Um, we've probably had a clip that's got a bit broader. Um, and so the broader uh, and particularly the heavy VM wools out of some of the Riverina areas have been a bit harder to shift, uh, but they have cut a lot of wool probably to balance that out a bit. Uh, and the only that's, area that's, really that's the the rainfalls causing that clip to go broader, right? With more rain, you tend to get less finer wool yeah, as, as a volume big, perspective. Big season down the east coast, so the clips got broader. Um, the amount of vegetable matters increased, so that's obviously made that a bit harder for processors, and they take that into account when they buy you wool. They've got to get the VN out, uh, so that's been a bit harder to to, to shift. Uh, and the only other area that's been really difficult has been crossbreds, and they have been in a bit of um, after hitting highs in 2018, they, they fell away in COVID and they have not recovered much since. Um, the only saving grace here is that obviously the crossbred land market, which you discussed on a regular basis, is obviously very, what, very, what, very... What's crossbred wool used for? Well, it goes into things like interior furnishings and very heavyweight fabrics not worn next to the skin. Um, the, problem for cross, the problem for crossbreds is we think we're a big crossbred producer, but in the world stage, we're actually a minnow. And there's crossbred wool comes from all over the world, New Zealand, South America, America, all parts of Europe, Russia, China. So there is an abundance of crossbred wool right across the world. So is uh, that crossbred wool, is that like the sound equivalent we would have in the UK, like Scottish wool? That, that is exactly, that so, is exactly so what there's an abundance of. Carpet wool, basically. Probably not quite as broad as carpet wool, but anything from sort of 30 micron plus that area, there is an abundance of that from, on, on a worldwide scale. Yep. And it's so been, you mentioned you, you mentioned um, the fine wool recovering probably out of those kind of you know fine and and, and the crossbred front broader stuff, but the fine wool has been the one that's probably done the best uh, you know in the last year. Say, is that a bit of a resurgence of, of European markets as well, or is it is that what's kind of driving that? There's certainly been uh, so Europe went almost dormant last year. And then as we got into this year, they recovered and they have recovered extraordinarily strongly. In fact, the last six months, Europe has been the dominant player in the finals. And so you've had a very strong Italian contingent. Um, and they've been, of course, very, very active in the market. They've probably widened their type somewhat to try and capture a bit more wool because their strict specifications have made it actually quite hard to source wool. So they've actually lowered some of their strength requirements. Um, and so they've been very, very active. Uh, China, who supported the market all through COVID, probably have backed off of recent weeks. Um, 
and the Europeans haven't had to follow. So we have had the formal market drift just drifting the last month, particularly. So a combination of maybe lower, a bit lower supply because of the, or or running of the clip, as you said, so not as much fine wool available so, because of the wet season. So changing, yeah, changing supply, certainly, you know, if you look at 16 half and finer down about 25 to 30% of last year, that sort of a shift in supply does take it, make an impact. Mm. Um, the other thing too is that uh, some of the finer quality garments have still been sourced, even though COVID's obviously made things very difficult, that, that part of the market's actually recovered quite well. Mm. And so I think China, obviously a big buyer of Australia, more broadly speaking, and you mentioned what your phrase was difficult when you when you said, was that just, um, you know, Michael, is it, is Michael, it... Michael's trying to start some geopolitical tensions. <laughs> we haven't got enough tensions with China at the moment. So um, we're don't just going to see... Don't want the front page of the, of the Fin Review and the Sydney Morning Herald tomorrow morning, gents, but... At the end of the day, we, we had 92 or 3% of the wool last year go to China. One destination, it's a big number. It would be fantastic to have a competitor doing something, and that's why the Europeans coming back, although they haven't bought a lot of wool, I think uh, Italy only 4%, it just makes a, a difference. There's somebody there pushing the market along, and it'd be good if we could do some, some more processing here in Australia. But um, I don't know if there's – I think there's a lot of – there's an appetite to do it, but until people start to ask about stumping up with the money. There was a, there was a discussion around um, a, a processing centre to be established in Blackhall up in Queensland, which I thought was a curious spot to put it. But um, I, think, I think there's Blackhall, Kangaroo Island. Um, there's been a number of spots. I think that the issue is that to process wool in Australia today, early stage is not dissimilar to doing it in China, which sounds remarkable 30 years from when China started, but there's not a free trade zone in China now for wool. There's not the credit, um, well, there's a credit limit for Chinese companies where there wasn't. There's uh, pollution control in China that there wasn't around in the 90s. So they've started to do all the same rules that we are. And so to process wool in Australia, it wouldn't be cheaper than China, but it wouldn't be dissimilar is the talk. So, that's, so that's there the is some... Well, so I'm interested in doing it. Well, that's the thing. It's sort of like 90, what do you say, 92% of wool went to China? It, it, for the, I think for the 12 months to, to Christmas, it was in the 90s, yes. Whereas, mm. we, like, obviously, uh, when we look at things like barley, there's a lot of concern about how we're not diverse enough with barley, even though barley <laughs> was, I think, maximum of 70% went to China. So, so wool's in a hell of a lot more precarious situation. Different, different markets, because there's not that many other alternate origins, really. For, for fine wool? I suppose what's happened is that while 90% of the wool went to China last year, half of that wool comes back out of China again and goes to places like Italy and France and Japan and North America. Um, it's just the fact that they are a very dominant player in that early stage process. You can, can very much drive that market one so, way or another if they please if, you know, if they please to do it, they can. So so if, if, if one of the reasons is that China's become you know comparable to us, you know, they've got you know, environmental laws, which are sort of starting to be similar to the more developed nations. Do we need to start looking further afield for somewhere we can pollute? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, That's a great we, way of putting it. Do we have, no, to, do we have, to, do we have to start setting up, you know, uh, processing plants in, I don't know, There has Somalia? been a bit of a trend. Yeah, well, no, transition to, I think Vietnam's one of those areas <clears> that is up and coming, isn't it, in terms of the processing? Um, it is, but to, to think you're going to move, I mean, the, the question about pollution, to think you're going to move somewhere else and, and do the same damage you did uh, in China or even in Australia of years gone by. 
I don't think that's a great outcome. Wool's environmental credentials are the thing we try to push. So the last thing you want to do is, is to say, oh, we're going to go and just pollute somewhere else. They've come a, they've come a long way on that processing side um, to, to clean water and, and use water purification, and they've got very good at it. But there's a cost to that, and that cost is now being being born in China. And if they go to Vietnam, I think you'll find they'll have to do the same thing. Have to do it the same. Yeah. And yeah. with that with that aspect in China and the process, and there was a, a story about oh, about a month or so ago now with regards to China going through an energy crisis across a lot of industry and, and, and um, having rolling blackouts and stoppages in certain zones and areas. That's something that's been just impacting like, upon processing? Just, just like South Australia in summer. <laughs> Correct. Okay. South um, it had a short-term effect. There was some issues with power in China about a month ago. My understanding is that um, uh, some of the environmental concerns about burning coal were suddenly um, uh, the concern about burning coal and producing power suddenly wasn't so important it was a month prior, and they started to generate power to make sure those mills could operate. My understanding is there's not the issue there today as there was even a month ago, is my well, understanding. Well, we've seen the coal prices kind of come back down considerably in the last sort of couple of weeks in China, uh, but still high, still expensive. Energy costs are still expensive. But I think, you know, the government has uh, waved the invisible hand and then all of a sudden energy supplies are back to, to normal. Because I think there was a time when there was a lot of facilities were told, okay, you'll get power on X number of days or you'll get no power depending on what industry you're in. But it seems... And in certain, so, so if you're in scouring and you're using warm water and things like that and you you stop a mill for even if it's 24 hours and you have to refill the bowls with warm water, there's a, there's a pretty big energy cost to do that. So stopping a scouring plant um, from an energy perspective, stopping one's actually probably more expensive than just keeping it going. So that the idea that you have rolling stoppages in a, in a business like scouring is something that would be very, very difficult to manage. Same, same as like the aluminium smelters. You know, yeah. if, they, if they don't get access to power all the time, the, the startup costs are in the millions. But my understanding is there was a sh there was an issue, uh, and then there was, as you say, the magic hand was waved, and the and magically the power reappeared, as it always does, supply mm. and demand. <clears throat> I, I saw I'm gonna I'm gonna add a bit of conspiracy theories into into this podcast because we don't. <clears throat> I've, I've been listening to podcasts and there seems to be a lot more and more conspiracy theories when you listen to podcasts, whether it's Joe Rogan or, or whoever else. So I thought I'd add one in here, you know, and, and get things. So this is your this is this is you starting one or you oh, yeah, so I'm, I'm, one? I'm starting one, yeah. I think I no, no, we, I'm we, interested. We can start one just now and then we can see if we can get it into the Fin Review or something. So you know, I, I saw I saw a market report saying China has bought a lot of wool for military uh, uniforms. Right. And they're stockpiling they're stockpiling grain and other stock, yeah. stockpiling staples. And at the same time they're testing uh, shooting ranges against U.S. naval carriers or mock-ups of U.S. naval carriers. Not saying nothing, but you know, what, what do you think of that, Michael? Is it is it the start? Is it the is it the uh, the Cold War? Should, oh. the, should the Taiwanese be nervous? Is what we're saying is that? Oh, absolutely. Um, the uniform one for us is actually really interesting. We like it when they talk about uniform orders in China. Um, and mostly it's for the military and for people in police and, and various other uh, government agencies. 
And generally when that happens, when they, when they put those orders into place, it gives the market a really good lift. So for us in the short term, we like the idea they're making uniforms. As to your conspiracy theory, um, I'm not going to get on the front page of the Fin Review with uh, Michael de Kluver said, uh, Andrew Whitelaw uh, agrees. China's about to attack. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Run for the hills. <laughs> what, what, what is that Australian book called? Um, I want you all doing high school. Tomorrow when the war begin. Tomorrow yeah, when the war begin. That's it. Michael Mars. By, by Michael DeClover. Secret. <laughs> 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 speaking of, um, so we've had a conspiracy theory, but we haven't gone off on a Hoiberg tangent yet. And that's another new addition to the podcast is we've labelled tangents. We go off after one of our, um, our guests regular listeners and, and a guest that made a complaint. Um, so the Hoiberg tangents, when we go off on something totally different, now, having Michael on reminded me of that the Aussie dollar bet that I had to pay out on, which I, which I did do, of course. Michael, I think I, I think I put on Twitter the picture of Michael holding the, the crisp hundred. Um, but we've got another bet we were, we were talking about, Andrew, uh, a, a few podcasts back now um, regarding Ange Postecoglou and, and the Celtic uh, football team in the Scotland Premier League. Um, SPL, yep. Scottish, Scottish SPL. Um, it's looking pretty good, mate. Um, the bet was, Michael, that Ange Postacoglu was going to be out of contract by the end of this year. Um, he's, Andrew thought he was a poor choice for the Celtic manager. I don't think he was a poor no. choice. I thought he was just didn't realise what he was getting himself into in the most notorious uh, duo of football teams in the world. And that if you don't perform, like as soon as they drop to third place, People, we were calling for him to be sacked. If you're not in first place in Scotland, then you should be sacked if you're the manager of Rangers or Celtic. As soon as you drop from first place, the knives will be out for you because there is only and, two teams um, in Scotland. And so there was a bit because you made a very bold statement that he'd be out by because when did was he out by Christmas? Yeah, so it was about the middle of the year or something. He was. It was, it was the day that he got hired. Yeah, and I don't know. So, I don't even know who he was. I just said. <laughs> And so, so I said, there's no chance he'll do really well there and he'll be well and truly there past Christmas 2021. And so there was a $50 bet. Probably the first of all, after all the bets where you've tried to entice me into a bet, Andrew, this is the first one I've accepted. And I reckon the $50 is looking pretty, I'm pretty comfortable that I'm going to get that $50. I don't want to keep this tangent up too long, seeing as I'm losing. Uh, but but the reality is, this is one of these bets where where I understand that you guys seem to have a lot of bets, but there's not a lot of money ever changes hands. Is that is that one of the well the normal the way the, the normal way right? The, this, I'll give you an example of the normal way that Andrew bets with me. Is he goes, I'll make a bet with you. I bet you ten dollars that the sun will rise tomorrow, right? And that and then I just go, well, yeah, you know, like I'm, that's not a bet, Andrew, because yeah, I agree with you, and I'm not going to enter that bet because I'm going to lose. That's the kind of standard. But this one, we actually do disagree. And I'm, I've, I was happy to accept the terms. Yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm feeling, feeling I'm, I'm going to recoup some of the $100 that I had to hand over to you, uh, Michael. What about, what about up, double or up, nothing? You'll be what up about by double June. or nothing for maybe the 1st of, uh, of February? You might you know, just, just see how strong a bet it is. No, I'm, I'm, no, I'm, no, I'm, no, I'm, no. I'm, I'm, no. I'm I'm happy to I'm happy to take the fifty dollars and pay that out on, uh, but I'm not. But it's not over yet. They That's lose, true. Lose two more games and he's out. 
<laughs> anyway, look, that's that's a complete tangent, and we're trying to reduce the number of tangents. The tangents. So the, the the wool forward market, yeah. What's it doing just now? Is, are people trading that, or is that just dying? Yeah, down? they've been they've been trading that. In fact, um, there's a really interesting component of that. There is a um, there's an operator in the forward market that's on the buy side that's been putting some healthy orders out there, particularly for March onwards next year, and been supporting both the nine or actually 18s, 19s, and 20 month mic on contract. Uh, and he's had a position the market should is can only go one way, which is upwards. So there's been some really good opportunities. Um, uh, hedging 18 micron over 2,000 cents a kilo, I thought was pretty good value, and we took a fair bit of that for clients for next year. Um, and I thought that was a really good, a really good outcome. Um, and that's been uh, great that this guy's been uh, just taking that position because he's an outsider. He's not, he's not, uh, he's not a wool trader. He's an outsider, so he's a speculator, which is really good. But good for our customers. It's an interesting. It's an interesting turn of phrase there. The market can only go up. It, it's reminiscent. I remember, I remember of, um, somebody said that a couple of years ago. That it can't go down. And now he's he's living. In, I suppose he's living in Paris or somewhere. You know. Yeah. Anyway, I, I like it when there's a speculator that's that's got a position that it's got to go up. Um, that allows us, uh, gives us a bit of, injects some confidence and allows people to, to sell on the back of it, which is, I reckon, great. It's a great outcome for us. And a few well, more people doing markets, the same thing would be great. Yeah, one of those things the markets Andrew's mentioned a few times, I think, where, you know, the, the speculators, sometimes people lament, oh, you know, it's speculators drive this market, they shouldn't be allowed to do it. What they actually do is probably for them to function, you know. So more often than not, the speculators are helpful within any market just, just for that, Extra liquidity, you know, when uh, we get think, out of position. I think it just speeds up the process. If you didn't have look, if you didn't have speculators, the move up and the move down would be slower. And if it and if it moved down, the market would stay down for longer. So I think speculators have a have a place. Yeah, it's that, just it just generally tends to be that we complain about them when the market falls. Yeah, but it's just uh, his his um, his uh, uh, strength in that underlying market for next year has been really good, as I said, for, for our customers that want to get set. Um, has allowed uh, people to buy a few sheep, say some weather lambs and put them away to April next year and know that you've got your money locked away for those uh, when you're spending a fair bit of money on sheep. So it's actually quite a good trade on that at the moment. Mm, oh, that's good to, good to hear. That comment, though, the market, yeah, it's only going up or the market can't fall. I think it was a... I come and that leads me to one of the next things I wanted to chat about with you, Michael. The AWI Woolpole. What's uh, as a as a broker and a, a you know someone that, that that's been in the industry for fifty seven years or something? Um, how what's your what's your view on uh, on on the uh, on the levy? Did you, are you allowed to have a view on that one in terms of what you think it should be? Or uh, Only give us a bit of an update. So my personal view is that. Um, uh, growers voted for one and a half percent. I think that's adequate. Uh, I think, I think with all these things, you take it compulsorily. So you've got growers have got no choice in the matter of whether they get their one and a half percent away or not. And so they have to. AWI always got to use that wisely. Um, I think, I think one and a half percent is is fair and reasonable. I heard there's some calls for some more money, and I think if you're AWI, you'd always want more money. It, it, it makes perfect sense to me. Um, lots of people that argue they should get less. I think we've got to do some promotion, some research across the industry, um, and then arguing arguing about what percentage. Well, there's there's difference of difference of opinion from from one grower to the next. Uh, I think where it's set at the moment, it's quite quite um, it's probably fair. Um, 
the only issue is if the wool market was to fall to us to a low degree, then the one and a half percent doesn't amount to a lot of money, and maybe that's an issue. But they do have they do have you know several million dollars in reserve, and so they probably have to tap into some of those reserves. The market falls away. Bit, bit like bit like yourself, Michael. The same sort of thing, yes. Yeah. Wealthy wool grower with money tapped uh, t- tucked away everywhere. That's correct. What's the it's going back to markets and stuff? Yeah, that's our primary place. What's happening with that cotton versus wool? Like cotton versus wool seems to, the cotton seems to be like the ratio between the two. I think the last time I looked at it, cotton was cheap compared to wool or expensive compared to wool. Now, wool would generally always be higher than cotton. It's just when that ratio reaches a certain number, you get fibre substitution. Uh, and uh, I would have thought that of recent times, we haven't got to that point where wool is starting to get the fibre substitution department, unless you're in that fine area. Yeah, because because we've seen like in the last couple of months, up until October, we saw quite a lot of a big period of just cotton prices have been increasing every month. Yeah. Yeah, where, along where, with synthetics. Where, along with synthetics, uh, whereas wool hadn't sort of really had as big a fall. Isn't increasing at the same ratio. Yeah, we had been we uh, cotton and synthetic wool fibres had been actually going up, and wool had been a bit static. Um, we have had a quite interesting mark. Like you had that quite clear, consistent rise in the cotton market and synthetics. What wool's done is take one step forward and one step back. We've had sort of a week of a rise followed by a week of a fall. We haven't really got going, but we have sold, you know, 25% more wool than this time last year for the same period. So we've sold a lot more wool. So maybe, maybe there's a catch up coming uh, in future months, but we haven't seen the same rise in the wool market that's, that, that, that's been consistent, uh, although that fine wool market did rally from last year to this year, doubled in value, which is an extraordinary rise when you look at it in that perspective. What about We're the... Seeing, um, sorry, go on, Matt. No, I was going to go to change topic, but if you want to add on something on the end of that, just go for it. What, 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 talk about uh, just a, a bit of a tangent as well, again. A lot of people will talk about, you know, the wool clip has has decreased in the number of volume, like number of sheep is down, yeah? Like we haven't got anywhere near as many sheep as we had 50 years ago or even 10 years ago. That's exactly, that's exactly where I was heading on, so it's probably good. Uh, but do we need to increase the sheep flock? I think you'll find that the sheep numbers are on a rapid expansion as we speak. Probably the only thing we're not seeing is uh, probably the rising wool-growing sheep numbers are probably not changing. I think there's a there's an increase in sheep numbers, but I think you find crossbreds and crosses of merinos is where you're getting all the all the increase. So yeah, merino is the face joined a white Suffolk or joined a Port Leicester or joined a whatever it is. Um, so I think there's there's generally been a pretty big increase in sheep numbers down the east coast this year, and it's going to continue, and with this season no doubt. But whether it's all the merino population there for wool production is is uh, certainly questionable. I think there's a massive expansion in other uh, sheep breeds that are not done primarily for wool. That's what do you think? Yeah. That's what we're going to see is because I know there's been a lot of calls from some industry sort of commenters say we need to increase the amount of wool. We need to make merino great again, so to speak. Is there a requirement, or do we look? There's arguments saying that well, if you've got low supply of wool, then that will keep prices strong. But then there's also, I guess, that issue of um, if you don't have enough throughput, then it makes it harder to have a viable industry. What, 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 which way do you see the argument going? I think uh, 
you've got to get to a, a, an equilibrium where the sheep flock produces enough wool to make sure our market's healthy and sound and satisfy the markets we have. Uh, but you don't want it to obviously oversupply to the point where equilibrium's out of balance and returns are too low. So it, the market's got to work itself out. Um, and The invisible hand. It's surprised a few people probably in recent years. The flocks got smaller and smaller and wool growing. While we had a very good year in 2018, it didn't last a long time. It was terribly affected by COVID. Um, so, yeah, we're always, um, yeah, we're in a, we're in a tough place because wool's a discretionary spin. So we've got to be careful about how much of it we grow. And, I've, and so that's, we've, um, we've heard a lot of people who have been 100% croppers who have got into sheep, quite rare, but they've never got into wool sheep. From, from our experience, this, this is completely anecdotal. And that's the thing I see that people can go into, go into sheep, but they're not going to go into wool sheep. And I think that's, that's the, probably the big thing is even, even that good year of 2018 wasn't enough to encourage people to actually consider it. So I, I just don't think it's about money. Like, I, think, I think what you've got is you, you've ended up with people with professional wool growers and they're growing wool and they're very, very good at it. They grow plenty of it. They have good lambing percentages that they might be putting their weather lambs into the, into the meat market and things like that. They're very good at that. And then there's another group that are opportunistic on the, on the sheep front. And so they're more about meat uh, and using stubbles and things like that at, at opportune times. Uh, and you wouldn't, they wouldn't consider themselves in the first instance as wool growers. Um, they're just, uh, they're opportunistic wool growers or sheep farmers while there's a quid there or why they have something to uh, feed source that they can use. But the, the genuine wool grower, they are they are different. That's a different business, and the ones that are good at that uh, and that grow plenty of wool and have plenty of lambs are pretty successful. Um, it's a it's an it's a good thing, Andrew, to see that you and I are thinking on the same wavelength because that those were the questions I was going to say. But I just wanted to, Mike, you were saying about the growth in what's expected in the overall flock, and I think MLA. If you go by the MLA forecast, we're talking I think up to sixty seven or sixty eight million head year by the end of twenty. 23, we're getting close to 70 million head is what they're looking, which is, you know, we're going to, like another couple of years, we'll be 10 million head higher, give or take, than what we were, you know, at the, at the at trough, at the low. It's a good thing, but most, as you're saying, are not going to be Merino kind of types. They're going to be first crosses or or other. I, I wonder, are, are you seeing are you seeing much of a trend too in um, moves to these kind of shedding types, you know, in terms of have you got, you know, people that are, but a sheep people that are saying, look, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm over the wall space. Um, you know, we, it's been more publicised this, this issue with shearers, particularly in Victoria now, with some shearers not wanting to get vaccinated and up to New South Wales instead. And you know, so there's all that supply chain aspect as well, which, which is, um, you know, the wool, the wool growers much more reliant on yeah, that they, kind of contract these, work. These shed and sheep, you know, you can't make them work. Not when they're a thousand dollars a head to buy. <laughs> And it's going to take you. It's going to take you sixteen years to pay them off. I did read a very interesting article, Andrew, about how to pay off sheep and and the difference between shedding sheep and and merinos and various things. And the, the article was very interesting. Um, it almost sounded like the 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 gentleman that wrote the the report was quite well informed. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but I think the shearer issue and the lack of staff generally is 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 an issue in agriculture right across the board, whether you're looking for a harvester, a header driver or a chasing bin driver or a shearer, there's issues right across the board. And in the wool industry, the shearing issue is at the moment, this this spring is bad, last spring was bad. Um, 
no Kiwis, uh, border closures, things like that. Things are difficult, there's no doubt. And that is leading growers, some growers, to think very hard about whether they want to run um, merinos or whether they go to a shedding breed. Uh, but once you go down that shedding breed path, you're in you're now in the meat production business, not in meat and fibre, and you're one dimensional. And if that's what you want to do, that's that's an option, just like being a cattle farmer. Um, so, so some of the some of the clients you're speaking to are they at the stage where they're just mulling it over? Are they seriously considering it, or are they kind of actually making moves to do it? There's a, I, I don't know of anybody in my client base that's moved towards shedding sheep. Uh, but then I have a lot of clients who I would consider are genuine wool growers and have no interest. But certainly in the more arid zones, I think there was a push. There was that Dorpal push a number of years ago. And I think the things like Dorpals and Australian White sort of, or certainly the Dorpal sort of stopped and the, and the progression to those had stopped. And if you're a wool grower, you're a wool grower. And if you're a Dorpal grower, you're a Dorpal grower. Of recent times, these Australian Whites have become a bit of a, uh, a new fat and they're a little bit better carcass quality and, and um got some better traits from a meat perspective. Um, that seems to be a flavour of the month, just to see how that how far that goes. Um, mm. I mean, it could be reflective of the calibre of your clients, Michael, to get access to an illustrious wool broker such as yourself. That'd have to be a, that'd have to be a you know... It, it, it'd have to be serious players. Yeah, yeah. You're not, you're, not, you're not bothering with the rats and mice kind of clips here and there. You're talking the big... Big, you know, tens of thousands of bales and you know, huge amounts of you know flocks of sheep, and you know they're your client base as a as a serious wool producer, not the. Uh... I, I should actually put. I should talking about the shearing though. I should actually put my hat in the ring, so to speak. And I visited uh, one of the training schools in Western Australia for sheep shearing, <laughs> and uh, it was it was in a previous previous life a long time ago in 2014 or something. And they said, oh, do you want to have a shot? And I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll join in. And so they had me sign a form. And, uh, well, and but if you killed a sheep, you, you bought no, it? No, they, they just said, oh, health and safety, we've got to get you to sign this form, yeah. And uh, so I was there for about, I reckon I was there for about an hour or something. And uh, I learned how to pick a fleece and whatnot. And um, then I did, what, I think I did two sheep, actually shearing them, which was fucking hard work. Uh, <laughs> And then, and then about three weeks later, I got a um, piece of mail in the post saying that here's your certificate as like a rule preparation certificate. <laughs> and I was like, what they got me? they're not fussy, uh, Andrew, with some of the people like well, well, what, what they'd done is they'd, I, I wish I still had it, I think I've binned it, but it was sort of, I guess what they'd done is when they said fill this piece of paper and they actually filled me in as a, as a student. <laughs> You probably got some training dollars, Andrew. Uh, you probably provided the beer at, uh, at the end of the week. It's fantastic. So, so, so I can put my, I, I can do that. I can, I can do something. I could probably, I could probably sweep up. Probably, it's probably about what I can do. Well, knowing, the, knowing the labour shortage, Andrew, and, and the the fact that we're desperately uh, needing people, after this podcast, you may well want to put your phone number there so people can contact you directly. Uh, you know, you can probably start next Monday. Easy. And th through through COVID, Michael, you can see that he's had some experience um, with the clippers still in hand, cutting yeah, his own. Obviously, it's been cold in uh, Ballarat, and he's got uh, hasn't sort of done anything about the winter sort of uh, the growth that's been going on there. Well, it's, it's a tough time. Your, your daughter was looking at shearing, was she not, Matt? Yeah, she yeah she's uh, she just finished VC now. She's gonna. 
look to uh, go and I think she's keen to go and do one of those one week courses to do the basics and then get out and try and get some experience on farm, whether it's shearing or doing something in, you know, some kind of agricultural pursuit for a bit of a gap year. Working in a piggery. <laughs> anyway, if she wants yeah, any tip, if she wants any tips on shearing, just you know, tell her to get in touch, and I'll I'll help her out. Some of those 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 finer real insights that come to you directly, Andrew. That really those those last little one percenters that only the the true experts of training would know. Look, if if you want if you want to know if you want to be in the know, you've got to speak to somebody in the know. That's what I've that's what I've learned over the years. And if you want those extra special, you know tips and tips and tricks on on sharing sheep and whatnot you know with my <laughs> with, with my 35 minutes of training i can i can i can give some insights you know. and a certificate mind you and a certificate i have to look and see if i've got that somewhere I, I, um, michael i heard uh it was much more in last week the conversation hour down in victoria uh they had a little bit of a, an expose on the wool sector did you catch that at all and one of your colleagues sam wan it was on it Right. Um, just talking about her entry as a as an urban kind of kid originally, and then making the transition into the wool market, um, and raved about a how good the wool market is, which I, I think like Andrew and I are, enjoy uh, the time we spend certainly at Cardi Nine being part of the wool industry. That's, that the, only, that's the only reason we're willing <laughs> to talk about wool. But, got, but um, got, got but to talk, it, we've got to talk about wool on the podcast once a year just so we can get to the Cardi Night. But you know, it is a, it is actually it's it's an industry that's got a lot of tradition, and, and the people that are still involved in it, Michael, they they are actually genuinely great people. Like a lot of people in ag, but wool in itself, because it's got that history, um, seems to have some of those people still in it that are that are fabulous. It's got, um, it's got and, that history because nothing's changed. It's still old history. <laughs> <laughs> but Sam was basically saying, you know, coming from a coming from a background uh, such as herself that was a, a city kid and, and got into it and raved about how much fun it's been, how interesting it is, and and, and encouraging others to not just, you know, the wool, the wool sector, but agriculture generally. But I wonder if you're, are you seeing, you know, a bit of an uptake in a bit of fresh blood coming into the broking side or the, are you, when you're getting kicking around the, the traps there, talking to grow, are you seeing, you know, teams of young people there that are, that are taking on these roles or is it still, is it still very much a, a kind of an older person's game. No, no, I think there's wonderful opportunities for young people. Uh, just about everybody I speak to that has any sort of interest in wool, uh, because we're ageing, because a lot of older people in the wool industry just means that at some stage in the not too distant future, some of the old ones are going to give it away and there's a void there. And that part of that void is because of from 1990 to 2000, post the stockpile uh, era, we, we had a pretty tough time and nobody employed anybody. And now we're desperately, probably desperately needing people. Agriculture is a great space to be. It's obviously pretty exciting. Um, you talk about change in the industry, and, and yes, sometimes we, we can be criticised for change, but we also had a lot of lot of things happen. Um, the wool industry, they, people make out that it's that it's uh, the same as it was 100 years ago. If you go to a sale room, we still sell wool the same way, but the, the electronics that sit pre and post sale are second to none. Um, and so there's lots of there's lots of things that have happened over the years to make things better, uh, and yeah, we're in a really good space. Not just in wool, but in in, in sheep, in cows, in in technology, in agriculture. Obviously, the season's good, so there's a fair bit of money about. And so I think there's wonderful opportunities, and I encourage anybody that's got half an interest if they if they you know, if they want to have a look at it now. So there's never been a better time. And I think in years gone by, some of the money that was paid to some of the junior graduates was pretty pretty ordinary. 
And I'd say today that that's changed dramatically to, to get good people. There's so many opportunities. You need to pay reasonably. The starting point's much better than what it was. You're not talking the 270000 or so that you'd be on a year. Um, um, that's, that's, that's his a, a base, or that's a, his or base salary. <laughs> is, is that a year or a week? What, what are we talking about here? So, so I'm, I'm just, I'm just thinking, Michael. Like I'm thinking, like I've got a background. I could be somebody that moves into wool. You know, I've got a background in analysis in, in, in commodities. You know, I'm also hands-on practical. You know, I've done my 30 minutes of training on. And you've got sharing. your certificate. Yep. I got my yep. certificate. I, I could, I could transition across to the wool industry and, and become a wool broker. <laughs> I've got, I've people got. Like a, yourself I've got, that. I've got people a like yourself that coming with that analytical skill. We probably put you in the in the rehandle to start with where. Um, just as a really good introduction to the business that you could sort stains and things like that for a couple of weeks just to get you you a real grassroots knowledge of wool typing and then we let you graduate from there into maybe sweeping the show floor and 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 maybe in time looking at wool and 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 talking about the market yeah maybe maybe five five five, six years into it'll be i'll be good to go in the laundry uh, you got some experience in your own laundry at home i would have thought andrew sorting the stains out of your um Underpants. As, as, as you well know, Matt, as, as a Scotsman, I don't wear underpants. So, <laughs> but I, 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 could, I, could, I could wander around in my woolen kilt and my Paris tweeds sweeping up the floor. You know, it's there you go. Now we've reached a new low <laughs> in the podcast. Well, so many, Warwick Long, last week when I was speaking to him, he was saying that it, you know, it doesn't seem as loose as it used to be. The podcast, <laughs> so he says. It, he says it seems too professional. So we've yeah. So we've decided to. Um, we've decided to to take it down a notch. Then that's good. That's you know, good. Just just reduce the culture. We had too much culture in recent times. That's the problem. Mm. So ah, well, you would you would get a lot of cultural experience going to things like the carding night. That would that would be quite cultural because they do talk about different different. Uh, Travel destinations at the carding night, as you would well understand. It's one of the it's one of the highlights of the calendar, Andrew, isn't it? We're not. We're well, not I've, I've only I've only been twice actually. The first year I went was the year before COVID, and I couldn't drink at it, uh, which, but I was on tramadol because I just came out of the operating room getting screws in my arm. Uh, so I was on tramadol and various other sort of opioids, and then was this year the 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 Bloody, yeah, because yeah, one year one year we had a miss because of the COVID. We had a miss that, and then this year it was the one where we had the card night, but we had to leave by eleven o'clock because the yeah. lockdown started at the twelve. Lockdown started, <laughs> but there was only this year there was the hardcore. There's uh, only about five of us, <laughs> 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 but but drinks for sixty. <laughs> so, yeah. so um, but certainly it's a highlight of the calendar for us for, by a long stretch, and um, it's probably. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a good spot, Andrew, to uh, to maybe do the wine up. We've, we've spent a lot. Of, we, we started with Cardi Night, and we can probably end with Cardi Night and, and and tip our hats. What is Len? Len uh, Ten Aces is it? Ten, Len, Len Ten Aces is the chief organizer at the moment and does a tremendous job. Does a fabulous job. It, always when I hear the name, it reminds me of some one of those um, Italian gangsters, you know, J- Jimmy Five Angels or uh, Len Ten Aces, like you know. But uh, he does it. Exceptional job, and, and uh, as he says, um, with uh, with the people at the Cardian Night, he refers to them all as chaps. Uh, chaps. Um, yeah. 
They're, well, they're a fabulous, they're a fabulous bunch of chaps, and I look forward to next year. Next year, Michael, you might be able to attend. You've had a few times where you missed. Yeah, missed the last couple of years, which has been very disappointing. But uh, hopefully, yeah, next year, no COVID and, and back to its uh, finest. No, we might wrap it up. We might uh, love wrap it up and we'll say goodbye to you two chaps. <laughs> and, so fa- again, thanks for coming along, Michael. Always, always good to stir the shit Thank a you. bit. I'm glad and, it was uh, uh, interesting chat and uh, there was not too many. Uh, what do you call them? Uh, tangents. Um, Hoiberg tangents. Hoiberg tangents. Yeah. And, uh, and good yeah. luck with the bet. Um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Still plenty of, plenty of time to go. All right. Thanks, boys. Well, you, right. Catch Thanks, you mate. See you when you uh, see you when you got nothing on. Ciao, okay, cheers.